Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The State of Grace, and it is part of the Grace Zone Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Hey, Pastor Phil here. I'm so happy that you've joined us for the, to hear the word preached this morning, and I'm looking forward to getting into what God has for us today. Uh, I want to just send a shout out to Mike Cordry for doing such an awesome job last week telling the story. Mike, you, you, you really uh, hit the target. Uh, for all of you, Bethany, especially you are members of Bethany Community Church, your adherents, you come here all the time. Within the next uh, short, uh, next few days, we're going to be having a giant congregational meeting online. So uh, be looking for that day. You'll get an email, you'll get a text message, all the ways that we communicate. And we're just looking forward to talking to you about the uh, ultimate reopening. And also, we want to we spend some time praying together as a congregation. So I hope... Uh, as many of you as, as possible will come online. In fact, if you're a guest or you're somebody who's just got familiar with us uh, through the live streaming, uh, you're, you're welcome to join us too. There's no, nothing secret going to be shared there. We're just going to be talking about what, uh, what we need to do when we come back together to stay safe. And we're also going to be praying for God to move together. And we haven't gotten to do that. And some of us haven't gotten to see each other's face. So I'm really looking forward to that. So be looking for that announcement. Well, let's get back to the Word today. Uh, we're in the third week, week of the Grace Zone. What is the Grace Zone, you ask? So glad you ask. The Grace Zone is your space of maximum energy, confidence, competence, peace, and provision. I believe the vision and conviction of your life should be to live in the Grace Zone. That although God's grace is available to every human being on the earth, and everybody that's walking on this earth and breathing is experiencing grace, whether they know it or not. But we know there's a place of special superabundance. There's a place of an abundance of grace. Grace is the, the power to do the will of God. Grace is the power to know the will of God. Grace is the all-sufficiency of God. The release of His presence and power to, call, to enable you to do what you could not ever do otherwise. Some of you today, and here's what I especially want to talk about today, some of you need an emotional miracle right now. Some of you need an emotional miracle because you have some circumstances you're dealing with that are causing you to feel defeated and down. Some of you need an emotional miracle and you don't even know why that you feel tense and stressed and depressed. Some of you need an emotional miracle because just the reality that you cannot control much of anything. And the last frontier for you is to control your feelings. Well, I call this emotional miracle that I'm going to believe God for, for those of you that are watching, especially for those of you who need it the most. And for those of you who don't need it today, put this, uh, put this message in your files. You will need it someday. And I'm, I'm believing this, and I'm going to call this the state of grace Years ago, I was in, on a trip uh, to Israel. And we were, I remember that day we were getting ready to go to the upper room. And I was really looking forward to seeing the place 
where talk about a state of grace. Disciples who had just watched their Savior be executed were, were about to have a, an emotional miracle that made them so overjoyed that the community thought they had been drinking too much. And it so happened that day we had a gentleman in our group whose wallet was stolen. So here he is in the Middle East, a long ways from home. His wallet, all his credit cards, everything was stolen. And what stood out to me that night is we went into the upper room and we entered into a, a, a time of praise with this group that I was with. And I looked over at this gentleman who had just lost his wallet, just had this huge inconvenience. And when you're overseas, especially in those days, things were not digital and online and all of that. And I watched him, both hands in the air, just, just totally enraptured by God's presence in the real upper room in Israel. And that's, that has stood out to me for the years of my life, that when things go wrong in my life, and when things don't go as they should go, there's a space and a place of grace. There's a sacred space where there can still be a feeling of triumph, a feeling of joy. Our biblical example today is Paul. Paul is talking to a church called Corinth. Corinth has begun to dismiss Paul and his influence. So, so Paul is defending his desire and his right to be an influence in the lives of the people in Corinth. The city of Corinth was caught up in a, a success cult. So there were other apostles that were coming along, people who claimed to be apostles and claimed to, to, to care about the Corinthians who were just taking advantage of them, taking their money taking their attention, taking their adulation, and they were critical of Paul. And the way that Paul defended himself and what Paul used to, to defend his apostleship or, or defend his right to be an influence in their life was to talk about, not about his successes and not about everything that went right in his life, but to talk about his suffering, to talk about his weaknesses, in fact, uh, let, let me read about a scripture to you in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, that kind of leads us up to what our text is going to be in a moment, that Paul actually outlines this, and, and imagine this, against this success cult of people who said, you know, if, if you really have faith, everything's going to go perfect for you, and if you really have faith, you won't have any suffering. And Paul said, no, I will show you that I have faith by what the suffering that I've overcome. I will show you that I have faith by what I have, what I have battled, I, by all the bad things that have happened to me. Every one of them has turned out to illustrate the grace of God in my life. Here's what he says. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I refused from, re received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger, in danger from uh, in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. 
I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. I, I, I have known hunger. I've often, I've been cold and naked. There, there's, he's, this guy has so many problems, I can't keep up with it when I'm reading it even. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. Imagine that. Paul is outlining all the trials and all the tribulations. Maybe some of you thought you've had a bad few weeks, right? We'll read that a a few times and it will probably encourage you, right? Now, Paul gets over into chapter 12 and he talks about this thing that most of you who have been around church for a while, you've heard somebody preach about or talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. In fact, it's, a, it's become a part of our vernacular. We will say that a certain person or a certain problem is a thorn in our side. Well, well that, that, that idea or that cliche originated with Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh that he had. And we don't know what it was. I'm not even going to speculate to try to say what it was. Many people believe it was a physical problem. Many people believe it was simply demonic powers that seemed to show up wherever Paul went. But here's what he said about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace, there's that word, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. See, see that, I want you to just circle that right now. That, that word grace is Christ's actual power on your life so that Christ's power may rest on me. Then in verse 10, he says, that is, this is why, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're faced with a real puzzle here, aren't we? The puzzle that we're faced with is that God says no to removing the problem the stress from his life, but God says yes to his joy, to his peace, to his tranquility, to his faith, hope, and love that would be present in Paul's life. That's what I call an emotional miracle. Now, there's a key. There's a key that opens the state of grace, and all overcomers have this key. You you ever wonder... Why some people seem to always bounce back? You ever wonder why some people always seem to end back up on top, no matter if they have bankruptcy, or if they have a business failure, or they have a challenging illness, they seem to battle through it and come back, maybe stronger than before. You you ever wonder why certain people like that? You ever wish you were more like that? Well, I believe that's because they have this key to the state of grace. These people, by the way, Apostle Paul and these people of faith that I'm talking about today, these people are not Stoics. There was a, a Greek school of thought. I think I mentioned it week before last. A Greek school of thought at the time that Paul wrote. It actually started before the time of Christ. But there was a school in the Greek uh, communities that taught Stoicism. And Stoicism simply believed that suffering and pain was was, was something to be proud of. And, and, and they believed to express, to express, uh, to express that pain or to, to, to express regret over that pain or to cry out in pain 
was a, was a violation of their, of their religious belief. They also believed to, to, to be too happy and to act too excited about pleasure was also a violation of their development as human beings. These, Paul was not a Stoic. Remember, he asked God three, he begged times, God three times to remove this problem. Paul was also not a, a spiritual masochist who, who placed his value and, and felt that suffering made him more valuable. Paul was also not a trauma addict, you know? A, a lot, some people become trauma addicts, and th- there's a whole list of reasons why we become trauma addicts and why sometimes we look forward to something going wrong. We, in fact, look for some emergency. It, for whatever reason, I won't even get into what all those are. Y- you know, uh, trauma addicts are fearful of the responsibility of success. Trauma addicts are fearful of the responsibility of leadership sometimes. But, you know, you know like... Uh, uh, some married couples have an ongoing argument about who is sleeping worse. Who's having, who had the worst night's sleep last night? You ever have that argument with your spouse? Who slept the worst? Like, like it's some badge of honor if you didn't sleep all night and you still did your job, right? Paul was not a drama trauma addict. Paul was not out to prove something. What Paul's response to the thorn in flesh teaches us, something we talked about three or four weeks ago when we talked about the loss of lament. It teaches us that, that lament, and, 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 it, and it's a holy thing to cry out in pain, is what, what I was trying to get out there, that it's a holy thing to cry out in pain. Paul didn't say, oh, this thorn in the flesh is just... I just welcome it in my life. It's such a gift from God. I just, I just, no, his immediate response was to try to remove it. And I, I would say to you today that, if, if, that if, you, if you disdain the trial you're going through, you're in good company. If you don't like the pressure that you're under, if you don't like some of the pressures and the problems that this lockdown is creating for you or the, or the virus, coronavirus is creating for you, you, you join the company of God's greatest people. That is as it should be, right? But the truth is, someone said this years ago, the truth is we're going to get hurt. The truth is people are going to hurt you. You've just got to find a truth worth suffering for. So here's the key that overcomers have. Here's the key that people who enter into the grace zone have, and it's this. What God's overcomers have in common is they have a reason for being that makes, makes suffering worth it. Paul had a reason for being that made suffering worth it. He loved Christ. He loved Jesus. He was thrilled with Jesus. Jesus was the greatest treasure of his life. And he loved the ministry that God had handed him. He was so full of purpose that his problems never quite overwhelmed him, but, his, but, but the God of grace in his life overwhelmed him. His purpose in life overwhelmed him. And the people that he was called to serve, that's what overwhelmed him. Viktor Frankl was a, was a uh, neuro, uh, uh, neurologist and psychologist in, uh, in, the, in the early 40s in, uh, in Germany. And uh, the Nazis, he was also Jewish, of course. So he was a target of, the, of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. And um, they put him, his wife, his sister, his brother, 
into separate concentration camps after they had forced him into a ghetto where his father died of pulmonary disease. And then they, then they scattered the rest of the family into various concentration camps. And uh, uh, Victor Frankl's wife was murdered in one concentration camp. His mother was murdered in another and his sister in another. And he was sentenced to hard labor in another. He survived, by the way. And he wrote a book that's a classic in literature, The Search for Meaning. I want you to know today, successful people know that they have a purpose and meaning in life worth paying a price for and worth suffering for. There are, and I'm talking to you today that are in your living rooms and in your kitchen, in your offices today watching this. I'm talking to you because you, I want you to look around. There are people that really need you. There are people who really need you, even if you don't realize it. There are people that are worth suffering for. There are people that are, that are worth getting through your situation for. There are people worth you fighting the battle to recover your joy for. I, I want to say that because somebody really needs that right now. I just want you to know there's a purpose for your life. Your grace is about your purpose. Next week I'm going to talk about that. Next week I'm going to talk about uh, 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 finding your grace zone and, and, and operating in your individual grace. And you have a grace that God has given you, a calling in your life. And there are people and purposes that need you. And you need to fight this battle to recover your peace, to recover your joy, to recover your tranquility. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condemning you for it. I'm not making you feel guilty for feeling that way. Everybody that's honest loses their energy, their strength, their joy, their peace. Don't feel guilty if you're in, in a very low state right now. But I want you to know God has put a calling on your life. And there are people that need you to overcome. And that's what kept Paul driving through all those trials that I read about a few minutes ago. The beatings and the, the lack of food and the lack of sleep. What kept driving him is he cared about people like the Corinthians. He cared about people like the Philippians and the Galatians and all these people. He, and, and he had this calling from God. And I want today, I believe somebody listening to this and somebody a part of this service, you're going to have your calling uh, uh, renewed in your life. And it's going to become an energy, and, and, and God's going to visit you with grace, not going to necessarily remove the, the source of stress from your life, but he's going to put you in you a grace that's more powerful than that stress. There's a third way to the state of grace. Overcomers know it, and they humble themselves underneath it. When, when you have a problem, or I have a problem, there are basically two ways that I like to deal with my problems. Number one is I like for somebody just to remove it. Just somebody take it away. If, um, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if I don't feel well, I like to just miraculously start, to feel, start feeling better. If, if, if I have uh, cancer in my body, uh, I like to just have that miraculously removed or even removed by a surgeon. That, that's, that, that works too. The, the, the number one way that I want to deal with my problems is I just want to have the problem removed. But if that doesn't work, a second way that I, I, that, that's almost just as good is if somebody can give me some wisdom or some advice. And they can tell me, well, here's what you need to do. 
You need to start taking these supplements and you will feel better. Uh, you need to start doing this type of exercise and you will feel better. And, uh, or, 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 or here's a person, and let me give you a name of somebody who can give you counsel or somebody you can hire to fix that problem. Maybe your car is not running well or you're, you're, there's something wrong at your house. So th- those are the two preferred methods of dealing with my problems. Number one is just to have them miraculously removed. And don't you love it when somebody just, you know what we call that? We call it someone does you a favor. Don't you just love that when someone just does you a favor? You're in financial distress and someone just, just, just writes you a check or they, they, they send you some money via the cash app and they take care of it. That's just incredible. It's also really, really cool when somebody just gives you some wisdom. You're having financial problems and they just say, well, you know, if, if, if you will do this, you can make more money. Your company will become more successful. That's the second thing. But you know, there's a third way. That, by the way, that's that second way that I, that I mentioned to you. Let me just give you a verse about that before I move on. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. In other words, in other words when you ask God for wisdom, and that's how a lot of problems are solved by wisdom, God doesn't make you feel stupid and say, You idiot. Anybody knows that. He doesn't do that. He affirms you in your ignorance. And that is a beautiful thing about God. But God has a third way. Let me talk about that third way for a moment. Imagine, you know, the next time you're at the beach and the wind is blowing sand in your, on your blanket in your eyes and stuff's being blown around by that wind. Look out on the horizon there. Look out in the ocean and you're going to see almost every time you will see one or more boats that have sails. We call them sailboats. Funny how we do that. We call them sailboats because they have sails. There's a person at the helm of that boat that the wind that you are, are cursing and you wish would die down is thankful for that wind. That wind is a, that wind is a picture of adversity. Adversity that comes to your life. Advers- adversity that comes to everybody's life. You know, in 1941... Uh, a, Swiss engineer, a Swiss engineer named George de Mestrel. He was hunting in the Jura Mountains um, in Switzerland. And, uh, and he, he and his, uh, his dog that was with him wa- noticed these small burrs that were sticking to their, their, the dog's fur and sticking to his pants. And th- they, these uh, small burrs were, came from the burdock plant. And... Um, George Demetrius picked up these birds and took a bunch of them back to his lab. He was an engineer. And uh, he began to study the hooks that were in these birds. And that, that they had a very special way of hooking onto your, your, your clothing uh, or into an animal's fur. And he began to study that. And he got this idea that this might be useful. That like, like in, in, when you manufacture clothes, you might actually hold the clothes together with this instead of a, instead of a button. And um, in 1948, George de Mestrel uh, patented his idea and he called it Velcro. Something that I remember as a kid getting, uh, we called them cuckleburrs, 
going to the fields back in Texas would get them our pants and all would be filled with them. And I never saw them as anything, anything useful. Because I wasn't able to do what George Demestral was able to do. I wasn't able to do what the person in the sailboat's able to do, which is understand that the, the adversity can have a purpose and it can, it can accomplish a purpose that sometimes cannot be accomplished any other way. That's the truth that I want to leave with you today. That's the truth I want to bring to you today is sometimes... There's, there, there's things that need to be accomplished in your life and in your world and around you that the only way those things can be accomplished is through adversity. I'm sure we could all make a list of blessings that have come from the lockdown. We can all make a list of things that really annoy us about it too, right? We can make a long list of what irritates us, what's stressing us about it. But if you'll think for a minute, you'll make a list also of how God is using it and what God is teaching you through it. There's something instructive, you know, about the fact that God withheld deliverance and counsel from Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden. There's something instructive about the fact that God withheld counsel from him but sent a ministering angel to him in the Garden of Eden. In between, remember from the Garden of Eden, Jesus prayed for deliverance. He said, Lord, cause this cup to pass for me. And then we have the other part of that same verse, I believe it's maybe the next verse, where uh, he began to be in agony and his sweat became his great drops of blood. In between those two things, him asking the Father to remove this cup from him and him being in agony, we read this in Luke chapter 22, verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. So what is my point? My point is, sometimes God wants to take you through the trial. Sometimes God needs to give you the grace to go through what you're going through till you come out the other side victorious. And that's the word that he has for you today. Amen? We don't welcome stress. But we believe God can transform our problems into power. Amen? And our, he, God can transform our feeling of injustice into joy. So we welcome the third way. The, the third way to deal with stress is to let God give you grace in spite of the problems. It's, it's like this. Uh, God says, okay, I'm not going to remove the problem today. But I'm going to give you a power from on high. I, I'm going to give you what I gave the apostles in Acts chapter 2 when that great scene in the upper room that I know I've alluded to two or three times here in, in this message and the first message on the subject because I think that's such an outstanding example because I know if I had been one of the disciples who went to the upper room after my Savior was executed, I would be praying that God would remove the government that did that to him. I would be praying that God would, be, would remove the hierarchy that did that to my Savior. I would be praying for political reform. And, and they probably did. They were in that upper room that I talked about a minute ago. They were there for 10 days. So they probably talked about political reform. They probably talked about what was wrong with Caesar. They probably talked about what was wrong with the Pharisees who led the charge to have their Savior executed. But God did not reform their government. 
God did not change their circumstances, but God put the Holy Spirit within them. God put a power within them that was more powerful and more, more effective than political reform because we have the church of Jesus Christ and millions of Christians today. Why do we have millions of Christians today and millions of churches in the world today? Not because of political reform, not because of the, the, the nation became what it should be. And I'm all for praying for my nation, by the way. I'm all for praying for political reform. But if you want to live in the state of grace, you're going to have to understand, and I'm going to have to understand, that God's purpose prevails. And that sometimes God's not going to change your nation, but he's going to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you accept that? Will you look for that? Will you start to seek for that? He giveth more grace, the song we used to sing says. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. He, to added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our faith has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace knows no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Hey, there's a reason that by 2030, there will be more Christians in the country of China than any country in the world. And there's a country where people who are oppressed for their faith you saw a video that circulated this week of a house church being broken up by the authorities. But in that pressure, God is not reforming their government. He's transforming them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's able in that circumstance to accomplish more that way than if he transformed the government. Now, I'm, I'm all for praying for the government's transformation, as, I, as I've already said. I'm all for praying, and I do pray all the time for my government. And I pray that we will continue to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yes, that's right. But I have decided, and I hope you will decide today, and what this sermon's really about is you deciding whether or not you're going to trust God. Whether or not you're going to trust God with your life. Whether or not you're going to trust His wisdom above your own. Whether or not you're going to believe in His control over your own control. Finally, to know Jesus is to be delighted when his purpose is advanced, even at the expense of our own. Overcomers can transcend themselves. Paul said it this way, and this verse is the key to the whole message. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Since, since I know it is all for Christ's good, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God has a plan for our lives. He has a plan that what's for His glory is ultimately for your good. The, earlier this week, I had a video uh, chat with Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby used to be the character coach for the New England Patriots, and he's now the VP of uh, Vice President of Football Operations for the Houston Texans, and a real, a real good man, a real man of God. And we were talking about the, the stresses and recovering our joy, recovering our peace in spite of the global pandemic and the lockdown. And he made this observation to me. He said, you know, God's whole program 
is that there will be less and less of us and more and more of Jesus. That by the time we get to heaven, it's going to be all Jesus. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be Jesus that's going to outshine all of us, right? My, my brother wrote a song one time about heaven. I don't care. It goes like this. I don't care if the streets are gold or gravel. <laughs> I don't care if the gates are pearl or wood. I don't care if I have a mansion or a cabin. Those things don't make you happy anyway. Most of all, I want to see the face of Jesus to see him smile, hear him say, well done. Other things will fade into the shadow in the light of Jesus Christ, God's only son. And that's not because Jesus forces us to love him. But it's because when we do know him, we do love him. And, and when we really know him, we fall in love with him to the point that we wouldn't walk away from him for anything. Even when we don't understand what we're going through. The reason that Christ prepared his disciples for suffering was not because he was going to impose suffering on them. I want to be very clear about this because somebody, some people have a view of the sovereignty of God that just God is always sending all kinds of stuff on them. And I, I, don't, I believe this world, as I've said it many times in the last few weeks, this world is under the power of the evil one. So there's suffering and there's pain and there's problems. God is not up there enjoying seeing you suffer. But Jesus prepared us for suffering because he knew they were going to be caught between the fallen world and him. They were going to be caught between his power and his love and his mercy and a world that was fallen and broken and a world that was full of suffering. You see, God took this beautiful world and he handed it to us. And he said, here, here's the world. You manage it. You run it. He gave us dominion. That's a big word in the book of Genesis. He gave us dominion over the earth. He gave us authority over the earth. He said, I will be your, I will be your, your partner. I will be, I will be your, your, uh, your supervisor when you need to talk to somebody. I'll come down and meet with you regularly, but it's your world. You can, you can name all the animals, call them whatever you want to call them. You can, you can bear fruit and be fruitful. Enjoy yourself. I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. They've said one thing, I'll make this tree over here, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of that, okay? And along comes the serpent and tempts Eve. And what does Eve do? And Adam with her. They join together and what do they do? They chose evil counsel. They chose the counsel of evil. They chose Satan. They chose the serpent to be their counsel instead of God's. They really, what they were really doing was choosing themselves. They chose to run the world without God. And you know what the Bible says? There's a very interesting verse in the book of Psalms. It says God has placed his word above his name. God didn't just come back down and take the world away from them. God didn't take the management of the earth away from us. He's never taken it away. It's still ours to run. And we have made a pretty good mess of it in a lot of ways. In some ways, we've been very creative and we've done a lot of beautiful things. We live with both, right? We live with the beauty and we live with the problems. We live with the, we live with the order and we live with the chaos. God is not our problem. Instead, God has said to us, I'm going to redeem this world back, but I can't do it without you humans. We have to partner together. I will bring the supernatural power. You bring the faith. You bring the perseverance. I will bring the purpose. 
Let's partner together. So God has invited us into this awesome partnership to fight this battle with him. And sometimes when you fight battles, you get wounded. Sometimes when you, when you enter into struggles, you get hurt, right? But God says, I have a plan. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring my power to bear. You're going to have miracles. Some problems are going to just disappear because I'm going to give you a miracle. I'm going to interfere with the forces of nature and cause things to happen that shouldn't even happen to you. Some things, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to let them play out in your life. But when I do, I promise you an outpouring of my spirit If you will look to me instead of the problem, if you will believe in me and trust in me, I will give you a measure of my grace, my power, my all-sufficiency that will cause you to triumph and you will be indestructible till I am finished with you and you will have joy. You know what joy is? Joy is the ultimate knowledge that Jesus Christ will ultimately triumph in all things. Amen? Someone said this, and I want to leave this comment with you today. You will never regret surrendering your weakness in exchange for his strength. You will never regret surrendering your weakness in exchange for his strength. This, this is, my friend, is how we come to saving grace. And I know some of you listening to me, I've never come to that initial saving grace. You've never come to that place where you've said, I need a Savior. I need Jesus to be my Savior. And I hope you'll do that in the next couple of minutes. But that process continues to happen. The gospel isn't just for those people that are outside of faith. It's, those, it's for those who are already in faith, those who are Christians. Because the process is always the same. The process of releasing saving power in my life is always to surrender my weakness for his strength. Whether I'm dealing with the, the original sin problem in my life, or I'm dealing with chronic illness, or I'm dealing with financial distress, or I'm dealing with a broken relationship, or I'm just dealing with the emotion that comes in these days of stress, in these days when we're, when we're feeling pretty out of control. I was in a meeting with somebody the other day, and they, they were talking about, this is someone who, who, who lives alone, and someone who uh, likes to cook. You'll see in a second why I put those two comments in there. But he, he, he talked about how stressed being at home all the time was making him. How stressed the lockdown was making him. He said, he said, said, I'll go, he said I go to uh, uh, Wild Wings and watch the people come in to get their takeout orders just to see some uh, activity. But he said, uh, in, in, during the lockdown, he decided... Uh, since he likes to cook, he decided he would make his own, uh, his own uh, olive oil. So he went and got some olives, and he started to press the olives and squeeze the oil out. And he said, God spoke to me in that moment, and God says, I am pressing you on purpose. God can do that, my friend. God can transform what is a tribulation for any other person to being a triumph in your life. Would you surrender your life to Jesus today? If you will, as I heard another brother say the other day, and I thought this was great, he said you need something in your life that's pandemic proof. 
You need something in your life that's pandemic-proof. And I only find that in Jesus. I only find that in God. I only find that in Him there is love, there is peace, there's the power of meditation and prayer. There's the power of singing to him. There's the, 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 the call to love my brothers and communicate to my brothers and, and sisters and, to, and, 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 and the, the calling to make a difference in somebody else's life. Those are the things that a pandemic cannot stop me from doing. They are, they are elements of life that are pandemic proof. And that's what God's, God, God says, sometimes I'm going to let you be in that place. And when I do... Look up, because I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. I'm going to pour out grace on you that is going to be more powerful than normal. When the trials are greater than normal, God's grace is greater than normal. If you will let it, but you've got to let it. See, what, what if Paul had responded differently? What if he had responded differently? What if he would said, no, that's not enough, God. I'm not going to go with that plan. He could have cut off the grace of God. That's what he, and that's what I don't want for you. I don't want somebody listening to me to cut off the grace of God because you are only giving God one alternative. God, you remove the problem or I'm going to be uh, defeated. I'm going to be depressed. So right now I want to pray. I want to pray for those of you who need to make a decision to follow Christ. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can pray along with me to receive Christ as your Savior. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to turn the corner and I'm going to pray for those of you that, are, that need that emotional miracle in your life today. Would you bow? Father, I come to you. Realize that I need a Savior. Realizing that I am unable to give myself eternal life. I'm unable to receive the power that you could give me. I need to be rescued from my sin. So Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I believe that I will spend eternity with you because of the price you paid for my sins on the cross. And Father, I turn my attention to those who are feeling distressed today. Who are feeling down who are feeling defeated, who are feeling anxious and nervous. I pray, Father, that they will be able to look to heaven. The Bible says that we are welcome to the throne room where we find grace to help in time of need. You forecast in that passage that we would have times of need. We would have times when we would need a power greater than our own in order to have joy, in order to have peace, in order to be productive, perhaps for some of us, in order to survive. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those people that they will be able to turn their eyes heavenward and walk into the throne right now and receive an emotional miracle in their life. In Jesus' wonderful, precious, and holy name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for praying that prayer with me. Let us know what God is doing in your life. We have, even, we have a place on our website for you to tell your story. We'd love to know your story. We also have a place you can request prayer. 
We also have four videos that you can watch. It's called First Steps. You can learn more about the development of your faith and about how you can grow as a Christian and become a part of the great family of God. Have a wonderful day. Have a victorious day. And whatever you do, get in the grace zone.